the hardest part besides losing Natalie was forgiving myself, you know, for what I've done. And I still struggle with that part of it, but I think giving yourself grace, and I think that if she would have given herself grace, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. All right, folks, welcome into the Run the Race podcast. We're here with you almost on a weekly basis for the last almost three years now uh, as we uh, are on WTVM.com slash podcast. You find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher. And you know we talk about fitness on a regular basis, you know, being being well physically, you know, mentally and spiritually as well. But, you know, we're talking about cycling, uh, a very low-impact sport uh, that uh, anybody really can do. And uh, talking about that with our uh, guest today. But we're also talking about um, something extremely important um, and deep, uh, suicide. Um, our, our guest today has a really powerful story to tell about um, losing his wife about a decade ago, and uh, you're not going to want to miss this. This is one of the most impactful interviews that I've done for this podcast in the last three years. So I'm going to introduce you to Jason McKenzie in just a little bit. But uh, September also is a National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And if you didn't know it, there's an average of 123 suicides each day in the U.S. It's the 10th leading cause of death in America. It's actually the second leading leading cause of death for those ages 25 to 34 and third leading cause of death for those ages 15 to 24, impacting a lot of our kids, a lot of teenagers and, and college students. And so uh, we can't take this lightly. And uh, definitely, you know, Jason McKenzie um, he said, you know, when you go through a tragedy like this, you, you really, you're at a fork in the road. You can either go somewhere dark, which anybody, you could understand. You can't blame them. Or you can turn it into something positive. And even if you have really bad days going through, you know, thinking about this and losing someone to something like suicide, um, you know, uh, you don't want that person to die in vain. So you want to do something about it. We're talking to uh, one of the foremost experts locally on cycling, Jason McKenzie, joining us here and uh, talking about uh, all things uh, cycling. He's the co-owner of Ride on Bikes since 2009, and actually next March, uh, this company in Columbus, Georgia, just south of Atlanta, is going to be celebrating 20 years in business, uh, doing great in downtown Columbus, right there on Broadway. If you need service for your bicycles, you need to buy a new one, you need to rent them, they, they give them away and donate to some great causes as well. And uh, we're going to talk to him today about that and um, his involvement in, in some extreme sports. Uh, I don't like heights, but he does. <laughs> he likes going fast on motorcycles and, and flying airplanes. And, and uh, he's done an Ironman. And he, we're going to talk to him about his 75 hard challenge he's doing now, which he's a braver man than I am. But maybe I'll, I'll take it on one day. Um, so uh, Jason McKenzie has uh, degrees from Darton College in Albany, which he also calls Smalbany. He also has a BA in marketing from uh, Columbus State University. Um, again, he, he sells bikes. He leads community bike rides on Tuesday night. Um, he also um, was married to a woman named Natalie, and uh, sadly, uh, she committed suicide um, 11 years ago. And um, it's, he's going to talk to us about that, a very serious subject, because uh, suicide is something a lot of folks don't talk about or don't want to talk about. But we should because, you know, the, the call volume is up. Uh, there's a lot of people going through a lot of mental health issues that we just don't know about. So it's an important thing to talk about and how, you know, 
life kind of hits you hard and, you know, you looking inside yourself, looking to others, looking to God uh, for support and strength in that time. He's a uh, go big or go home kind of guy, and uh, he, w- he wants to change the world through cycling and through everything else. And so uh, without further ado, uh, Jason McKenzie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I uh, also read on your Facebook page, you have this as your headline. I'm not sure how, how long ago you did this. You wrote, I take all my life experiences, good and bad, and help as many people as I can with what I've learned. So, uh, I mean, that's 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 your goal in life, right? That's it. Yeah. And all and from the small to the big, I just want to make the world a better place the best way I can with the gifts I've been given and the challenges and the, you know, the exciting times of my life as well. Absolutely, yeah. And we're going to talk about some uh, some serious things, some fun things. I talked about, you know, your marriage and, and your loss of Natalie, a, a viral video that I just recently watched called 10 Years about, you know, what it was like, you know, dealing and grieving you know, that loss and dealing with tragedy and adversity. We're going to talk about um, your goal to uh, spread joy of life, to uh, spread your love for cycling, helping new and experienced folks. Um, but I wanted to start off, you know, we talk about fitness a lot on this podcast, and uh, you're doing something now that we talked about on the phone previously called the 75 Hard Challenge. That's right. And you, you brought your water with you because yeah. that's, that's part of the challenge, that's right. drinking so much. So tell me, for those who don't know what 75 Hard is, I mean, 75 days, but what are you doing? Yeah, so 75 days, uh, the water is one gallon a day. Um, which I felt like was going to be difficult until I got to the rest of the challenge. And I drink <laughs> way, way more than a gallon a day. Uh, Ten pages of an actual book has to be nonfiction. Okay. Um, so again, not that difficult, but you keep adding things up. Um, you have a progress picture you have to take every day. No alcohol. The hardest part for me so far has been two 45-minute workouts. One of them has to be outside. I work out pretty much every day anyway. Uh, the second one, though, ha- has been a, a real challenge. And then the last part is whatever diet you choose, uh, no cheat days. So 75 days. I'm, uh, I'm just 11 days in right now. So, oh, so, so you've got, <laughs> I'm a, pretty new into you've got it. a full two months to go. <laughs> yeah. So maybe yeah. we should talk, we check in with you maybe Absolutely. Come, uh, come, uh, before Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's right. Like That's that. right when it ends up in Thanksgiving. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so, um, so what made you want to do something like that? I mean, you're an active guy. You're very right. fit, you know, in your, um, you know, mid to late thirties. Um, what was the motivation behind this? Well, I think that, uh, one of the biggest things is like what we're talking about today. I want to make sure that I'm in control. And when my cravings take over something or if my laziness takes over something or I'm, I'm sleeping in and I feel like something else taking control, I got to remind myself that, nah, it's Jason that, that runs this ship. And I don't want to do this. This is hard. Uh, it's called 75 hard. That second workout when I you know, get home late from you know, work at night and I have to go, uh, that is proving to myself that I am, I'm the one driving the ship. And uh, that's a big reason for me, just constantly keeping myself in check, making sure I have control of the situation. Now, when you say workout, I mean, you're talking about lifting weights or running or elliptical or, or, or bicycling? Yeah, it's a great question. So that's one thing that I love about this challenge is um, like yesterday morning, I had uh, a hard workout. I'm doing a fit for racing uh, thing, which I have to show you. Yeah. It's really awesome. And it's uh, specifically to moto racing because our season starts next month. Um, and then in the evening, I just did a long walk. I walked downtown before I went home and it was easy, easy walk, you know, 45 minutes of keeping my heart rate up and stuff. But it was also kind of breaking down all the lactic acid that I built up yesterday morning. So, yeah, well, I mean, at least, you know, now it's September. So the the weather, at least by next month, will be more fall like. That's right. Yeah. And this morning I had an hour yoga yoga session and then I have, uh, you know, weightlifting this afternoon. 
and then I have a two-hour bike ride tomorrow morning. So, you know, it's like I'm just kind of mixing it up, keeping it fun, keeping it interesting, and try not to beat myself up too much. (laughs) And, um, you know, a lot of people may be listening and thinking to themselves, man, I don't even know if I would have time for something like that because, you know, maybe I have kids and I have to make dinner and, you know, I have a job. And and you're you're a business owner, ride on bikes. And so how do you balance all this out and trying to do something like 75 hard. So it's hard and it's in, it's in the, uh, the title. I think, um, you, whatever, you know, if it's important, you'll make it happen. If it's not important, you'll make excuses. And that's just how I see it. I don't have children, so I can't, I'm not going to pretend I know what that's like. Um, but when you look at the stories, if you just go to hashtag 75 hard on any of your social media platforms and see the mothers with several children, uh, it's actually a lot of women have done it, you know, that even more so than men at this point. Um, and you see the CEOs and all that are doing it. It makes me feel like, well, man, if they could do it, I got to push through. They got five <laughs> kids, you know. Um, so I think it's just, like I said, if you're not making, if it's important, you'll make it happen. And I figured out, I, I'm wake up at five and I get my first workout in. I will say that um, my girlfriend, Hanata, she, uh, she's doing it with me. And having that support is, is, I don't know how else to match it. It's awesome. We're eating together. And, you know, if she's tired, I'm getting her up. If I'm, if I'm slacking a little bit, she pushes me. So I think that's a big part, too. A little bit of a shared misery. You're kind of going through it together. Yeah, right? <laughs> it would be both you know, limp out, limp over to the breakfast table. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, we're talking about your girlfriend, um, you know, we want to go back in time a little bit. Um, you know, I, I alluded to it in, in the introduction to you about, um, you got married. In fact, um, this episode will come out a few days after what would have been your wedding anniversary, September 18th to, to Natalie. And, uh, take me back to, I mean, this was a, a, a whirlwind romance and, and how did you guys, you know, I mean, uh, I, I assume you just fell in love and it was, uh, you know, it was, I don't know if it was love at first sight or. Well, you'll appreciate this story she walked in the bike shop from uh, injury from running wow yeah she had uh she was she was a big runner um didn't cycle at all but she ended up hurting her ankle and she walked in with a moon boot on as you know a lot of us have ended up in that situation and that's how i met her and uh, just looking for a hybrid just to kind of buy her some time until she got back to running because you know if you're a runner you don't want to cycle and if you're a cyclist you don't really want to run there's a few people that blend them together but the idea is, you know, when I, I get you in the store from running, I want to turn you into a cyclist, whatever it takes. <laughs> and uh, so that's how it started. And, uh, you know, we I took her on a bike ride for the first date. You know, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was really funny. We were coming back from Oxbow Meadows. I had uh, got her eight miles out. And we were turning around, and she was kind of in front of me. And I said, how old are you anyway, you know? And she, you know, I thought she was probably late 20s, you know. She's just real young and vibrant. And she said, 34. And I was like, ooh. You know? And she's like, how old are you? And I was like, 24. And she slammed on the brakes. And she's like, what in the world? I can't date a 24-year-old. Good great. She just lost her mind. She was so upset. And I was like, what are you going to do? Not ride back with me? She goes, if I knew how to get home, I wouldn't. And so I had eight miles to convince her to go on another date with me. So that <laughs> it didn't start off super smooth, but uh, that was my nickname the whole time we were together it was two four because she couldn't believe that I was ten years younger than her when it happened. So it like, hit her like a two by four. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, and then you know, um, you guys obviously, you know, from that point on, you eventually get married. I guess in a pretty short amount of time, right? Yeah, we were together uh, three years, um, and total. So about two years into it, we got engaged. Uh, it was. Was actually um, things happened to me in like big spurts so um, I hit a million dollars at Ride on Bikes uh, December 18th of um, 2009 
and it was the first time we'd hit the mark and uh, I was working really hard for it you know and we hit that mark graduated from college that day the same exact day we I walked across the stage and that night at my graduation party the two owners um, they at the time they offered me a third of the business wow. up on the stage at the loft at my graduation party um, so Things that things come in threes. Yeah, yeah. So then the third thing here on this particular, because it was like I became a business owner, graduated from college. I was kind of looking at that, and then uh, I went to Hawaii as kind of a thank you to myself. One of my mom's uh, best friends and one of my family friends had given me a, um, a timeshare in Hawaii uh, for a week as a graduation gift. Nice. So I flew over there, and then I flew Natalie over and asked her to marry me there. Um, so I got engaged all in the matter of about 10 days. All that happened. Wow. Yeah. Big yeah. life changes for you. And you're, you know, 24, 25 years old at yeah, the time. That's so. right. Yeah. I was 25. And uh, we uh, planned um, a beautiful wedding. And it's still one of my favorite weddings I've been to, you know. And um, it was just off of Exit 30 here in Columbus, so not far. Hopewell Church Road. Um, there's an old plantation home there. And we did it in a circle. So, like, no one was too far away from us. And no one was really more important than others, you know. And uh, it was just a really incredible celebration and you know my german shepherd had his tuxedo on and you know, <laughs> brother was my best man and my best friends were there it was it was a super awesome celebration yeah and um you know you talked on your video that i indicated earlier that the viral video titled 10 years which you can find on youtube or the internet and and uh you talked about how at 26 years old so just not long after that you deal with this immense tragedy so tell me about how that all unfolded was it something, you know, and how, I guess, she was found and all this? Yeah, so uh, it was, so we got married on September 18th, 2010, um, and March 18th, 2011 is when we lost her. Um, we had gotten into a fuss, uh, an argument. It wasn't anything, like, major as far as, like, no yelling or screaming, none of that stuff. But I was pretty upset, and rightfully so. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like that I was wrong in being upset necessarily. Uh, I also didn't know what she was dealing with, you know, and um, so we had our our spat. I said, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, um, but I can't stay here tonight. I'm going to go to my mom's house. I'm not leaving or anything, you know, I'm just going to my mom's house in Albany and uh, I'm just going to sleep on it for the night. And I loaded my dog up and um, and I, I went to Albany and... Uh, when I was walking out of the door, she said, don't leave me, I need you. And I walked out, you know, and um, it's one of those things that haunts me. It, it messes with me a lot, really. But she called me a couple times. I didn't answer. I was, I was thinking I was doing the right thing for our relationship. And I felt like, I, you know, wasn't trying to be righteous. And I was right, but at what cost, you know. And um, so I slept on it. I actually went and played golf with my dad the next morning, which I don't play golf. So that took a long time. And... Um, I called her and I left her a voicemail and told her that I loved her and that I said in sickness and in health and this is just a time that's in a sickness that we're going to work through and whatever it takes. Well, we found out um, that night she had not responded back to me. She would not called me back, not responded to my text. I thought she was just mad at me and uh, I, her dad called me that evening. Her, she was a daddy's girl, and he lived down in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I asked, you know, he said, "Have you heard from Natalie?" And then I realized something was wrong, because she would never not take his phone call. And uh, that's when I realized that something had gone bad. And uh, we were um, in Albany at the Mexican restaurant with my older brother, and I, I decided I needed to come back to Columbus and see what was going on. 
So I started, I called her, I called her mom, asked her to go check on her. Mom lived a block away and I called her best friend and asked her to go check on her. I said, I'm on the way, but I'm an hour and 15 minutes away, you know? Yeah. And um, I literally would call, once I got to going, I would call Natalie, I'd call her mom, call her best friend, call her best friend's husband, and I'd do that. Nobody was answering. Gotcha. Nobody was answering. I'm calling, I'm back to, as fast as I can call it, driving down the road. And then my mind starts going, you know, that maybe she got sick. Um, she had just started uh, a medication called Lexapro. It's an antidepressant. I didn't really know what it was. Um, when they said they were giving it to her for stress because she was having these blackouts a little bit early on, they said, just try this. Uh, I didn't look at side effects. I'm a bicycle guy was my answer to her, actually. And I've learned a lot since then, you know, but I did not look into it. She had started taking that. Um, so I started thinking maybe it was a reaction to the medicine. Something had happened. Still calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. And then I'd look down and I'd be running 140 miles an hour. Mm. And then I would look down again and I'd be going 15 miles an hour. I was, I was losing it. I could not get my act together. And then her mom finally answered and she said, uh, she's gone and I'm clueless. Like, well, where'd she go? You know, and she's like, she took her own life. Mm. And um, I didn't believe her. I guess that's your defense mechanism. I said, you're lying. And I hung the phone up, and uh, when I got to Columbus, uh, we live right off of uh, Winton Road um, on Wells Drive, and when I turned on the Wells, you could see the police and the fire trucks and the ambulances, and my house was taped off with caution tape. And uh, I parked a few driveways away intentionally, and I wanted to go see it myself. And um, so I ran through the yards, and thankfully, I don't know if it was God or what it was, but something stopped me and told me not to go in there. And so I, I ended up collapsing on the front yard. The police then rushed me, you know, to find they don't know who I am or anything. And uh, they start trying to ask me questions. I'm trying to deal with what's going on. And um, I'm the first suspect, mm. you know. Husband. Yep. Just, I mean, and the crazy thing is I, I did feel responsible. I did feel guilty. I didn't do it. I did not kill Natalie. But you start, you know, you're feeling like you, but you got to be careful what you say at this point because they are saying, we know that you did this. That was their tactic of trying to tell me I did it. And I was like, it was your gun and it wasn't because mine was with me. And I knew that wasn't the case. I knew I didn't do it. But, and, you know, I was like, man, I was out of town. I was trying to explain to them the whole thing and, and still trying to process that my wife is gone in the middle of all this. And um, thankfully, my cousin showed up uh, not knowing what he was coming to and uh, got the police to calm down a little bit and uh, explain to them where I was and uh, made sure that I got to sit in the front of the police car so, and um, to go to the police station to do the interviews. And uh, that was, man, it was a wild, wild ride. Um, there's so much going through your mind at that time, you know, uh, what you could have done differently. What is this really happening? Is this just a nightmare? Like, what is going on? I remember the moon... I don't remember exactly. I have to go back and look at it. It was a full moon, though, for sure. And it was like the closest it had been in like 200 years or something mm. wild. It was wow. just so bright, you know. Yeah. And um, so we went through all the interviews at the police station. And uh, they told me I could go home. And uh, so they took my guns from me, which, you know, they said they were worried what I might do. I guess that's pretty common. So um, there was a graduation in town and there was no hotels, man. We're driving around everywhere looking for a place to stay. And my family came in from Albany, you know, to be with me and uh, nothing. And then we got a phone call to tell me to come back to the police station. 
And so my mom, who's my rock, you know, um, it's her birthday today, actually. Yeah, happy birthday, yeah, mom. <laughs> she said, uh, Jason, I need to prepare you for something, you know. They, you may be getting arrested right now. I don't know why you'd have to go back to the police station after you've already done your interviews. Um, you're going to be fine, you know, uh, but you might have to deal with this by yourself for a little while, you know, if this happens like this. Man, can you imagine telling your son that, you know? And uh, we got back, and um, it was something completely different. It had nothing to do with that, but I just remember that fear my mom went through and what I went through of going back to the police station. It was just the coroner wanting to ask me some questions, you know? And uh, it took several interviews for them to decide that it wasn't me that did it, and it really was uh, the third time that I went to the store where she had bought the gun, got the tapes, got the receipt found the bank statement and figured out what happened because I didn't know what happened either. I didn't know where it came from, you know. Yeah, so uh, that was, that's how it, um, that's how that night developed, you know. And uh, Is it still, I mean, obviously, you know, shocking and you're just, you, I mean, like you said, you go through all kinds of stages of grief, you know, within hours or days or months, you know, and now it's been, um, what, 11? Yeah, know, March will be 12 years. Yeah. 12 years. So, I mean, does it still, I mean, like you said, does it still haunt you? Does it still something that you think about daily? Or And how do you kind of um, cope with that, I guess? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, knowing I was coming to talk to you today, like I, I relived it this morning. You know, it was a real emotional morning for me. Um, and it's just such a tough subject. But like we talked about before, it's uh, so important to talk about because it's like kind of, taboo you're not supposed to talk about suicide and it's a when i um even when i'm telling you the story right now it feels like i'm telling you someone else's story because that doesn't happen to you out of body yeah it's like it doesn't happen to you that's supposed to it happens to other people and you see it on tv and you might you know hear a story about it or watch a movie about it but this doesn't happen to the kid that works at the bicycle shop you know what i mean that fell in love Uh, this is not what this is supposed to be um you know a lot of people and I'm answering the question roundabout way, but it's a lot of people always say, most people say, but there's nothing you could do. And I just disagree. You know, I was there and I could have said different things. You know what I mean? Uh, Obviously, I didn't know. I don't, I'm not saying it's my fault that it happened, but could I have prevented it? Yes. I could have. If I would have known what she was dealing with or the cards that were being dealt, I could have said different things. And I cannot go back. I can't fix it. And um, I was telling you about being in control earlier you know i want to be in control of things and knowing that i cannot fix that the only thing i can do is do better Mm -hmm. and um i've had some instances now uh over this 12-year period where i've had the chance again to when i was right very right about a situation and i was able to handle the situation differently because i see it differently and i'm not willing to make the same mistake again and that's all I can do, man. I, I can't fix it, what my mistakes I made. All I can do is get better, and I can have these talks that we're talking about now, and hopefully I can give other people the chance to do better and not you know, and fall in that same situation that I found myself in. Yeah, and when you're going through all this, and, you know, um, and, and, you know, I'm not sure, were you brought up in the faith, I guess? In the yeah, church? yeah. So, so did, going through all this, I mean, did you doubt God? Did you, were you angry at God, at life? Were you just like, why me? I mean, this is, you know, uh, this is unfair, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like my pastor really, really helped me with this. Um, we would go walk. Um, I had a hard time going to church right then because it was all joyous and everybody's singing and it's happy. And it sounds very selfish telling you that right now, but I was like, man, it's not all great, you know? 
I don't know what y'all are singing about, man. It's not like this all the time, you know. And and I was I was super angry. I never doubted God. That wasn't the thing. I was just very angry at God. And um, my pastor, we were walking on the Riverwalk. I, I could take you right back to the spot right now. And uh, I was telling him that. I said, man, I'm having a real problem. He said, well, I said, oh, I'm really angry. And he said, well, you have a right to be angry at God. I was like, really? <laughs> That's said, not what you're supposed to say. Yeah, and he just told me that. He, he, gave me the, he gave me the freedom to be angry, to be upset. He goes, as long as you believe, you know, and you're still coming to him, which I am. I'm just coming to him in anger at this point. He said, we'll work through this. You have a right to be upset. You have a right to be angry. I mean, I just remember that being like a thousand pounds lifted off my shoulders because I was feeling guilty for being mad at God for what had happened. And um, I had a real hard time with it, man, because she had... She had, you know, when she was in her in our bedroom, and she had both of her Bibles opened, you know, and like she was searching, man, she was trying so hard, and I, that was for the life of me. I was like, why would, why didn't he answer her, you know, like, and I guess I'll never really know that. I don't know why it happened, um, but you know, I, that was one of the things I kept going through, and you can imagine, man, you start reliving it, and you know, you start visualizing things, and like they would just wake me up, man. They'd keep me up all night, you know, for a long time. Every once in a while, I still go through it again. Uh, the waves are getting further apart, but yeah, the the God thing was interesting. And uh, I don't know what I don't know if he was just doing that to calm me down or what, but it gave me a it gave me a big you know lift off my shoulders. Absolutely, and and you know I know that like you said, you know you have tried. Not that you can fix that situation because what happened happened. You can't go back. You can't change it. But you can hopefully help others realize. Okay, listen, we need to talk about this. You need to like be open and and like if somebody's having an issue and you put out that video. I guess a little more than a year ago called Ten Years. Um, and uh, really the, the ultimate message is being kind to others. And, but you told your story in that short amount of time, uh, and, and I know it's emotional for you to tell it then as well on camera. Um, and so what's, what do you hope something like that, that video and your story when you go speak to groups, what do you hope that people get out of that? I hope that when um, people are faced with adversity or when they have someone that, they, again, when they know they're right, that they'll just give some grace. You know, I think not only grace to other people, but grace to themselves. Um, it's the hardest part besides losing Natalie was forgiving myself, you know, for what I've done. And I still struggle with that part of it. But I think giving yourself grace and I think that if she would have given herself grace, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now, you know. Um, so I just I, I want people to be kind to each other, uh, be excellent to each other, and um, you have the shirt that says it, "Be excellent to each other" on it, right? Yeah, now. Uh, and and just you know we we are all we're we're human beings, man. We're all together, and we're supposed to be brothers and sisters, and we need to be looking out for each other. And even when somebody's done you wrong, you know, um, uh, I gotta tell you a, a quick story. Uh, I've never talked about this, um, but I had a friend that had uh, taken a bunch of money from me out of one of my accounts. So we had a, a business partnership together and he disappeared. And uh, he also used my name to get in the door and he screwed a lot of people over. And I was uh, angry is not even the right word. This was uh, three years after Natalie had passed, three and a half years. And I heard he was back in town. And uh, I went I went Albany on him. <laughs> I, I, I went and waited on his doorstep for six hours wow. to fight. Yeah, I was there to fight. Sure, uh, sure, I was just angry. I let my emotions get the best of me, and I wasn't thinking clearly. And when he got there, I stood up and I walked towards him 
to deal with the situation and it was going to be a physical altercation and I knew it and I don't know how to tell you this I saw Natalie's eyes in his eyes wow I didn't expect that I wasn't looking for that and he was ready to whatever was about to happen and I uh this was my opportunity to do better this is what I've been talking about this was my chance and I gave him a hug instead and I told him that I was like man we're friends I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea, but man, you could have asked me. I would have loaned you whatever I had. I would have given you the money. The way you've gone about this is rough. And the guy, uh, he, he broke down and he told me some things he was dealing with. And he was, I believe to this day, he did not say this, but I believe he was on the edge. Uh, I believe he may have been suicidal from what I understand about things now. And he disappeared. I didn't see him again. Um, seven years after that, I got a PayPal notification. He paid me all the money back, several thousand dollars. Wow. And he wrote me a really nice letter. Um, He said, man, I don't know why you gave me grace when you did, but I'll never forget it. Things have turned around for me. Um, You know, he lives out west now, and uh, he's doing very, he's very successful, and he wanted to give me the money back and invite me out anytime. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I feel like that kind of goes into that, that chance that we're looking for. What I'm trying to do for people is I want people to have that experience, you know. Because, I mean, like you, you talked about on that video, you never know what somebody else is going through because they may snap at you. Even just like, you know, a coworker or a family member oftentimes will kind of say something to you and you want to just fire back and you want to like, you know, so like, let's let's have a back and forth. I'm going to give it to you. But so, you know, and so it's it's and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith to maybe kind of say, OK, listen, I'm going to humble myself. Uh, it's okay, like to let that person win. And I said right. it in quotation marks, you know, because that's what it takes sometimes is being the 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 bigger person and like the, okay, that's more important than me getting the win, right? Yeah, yeah. We got to look at the overall. We're trying to we're trying to win the whole thing, yeah. not not this battle. <laughs> I want to win the war, and uh, that that's the biggest thing. You know, I, I was on Winton Road the first day that I drove after Natalie's funeral, and I remember th- I was at the first car. And the light turned green, I didn't see it because my mind is somewhere else. And the guy behind me lost his mind. He was so upset. Road rage. Yeah. And, but the, the, the thought that went through my mind, if he had any, I, I felt bad for him because if he knew what I was dealing with that week, he never would have been upset with I me. Mean, he would have given me some grace. He didn't know. And if we, all, if we can all look at that other person like we don't know what they're going through, we don't know, man. Let's give them some grace just in case, you know. And do you think that that also is kind of a, I mean, real, obviously it's a Christian principle, Absolutely, you know, yeah. uh, with Jesus and, and with grace and mercy. Um, do you think that like sometimes like as Christians, we forget that and then we just, we're just like, okay, we re, uh, just react a lot of times out of the flesh, right? Yeah, we do. I mean, that, that's no doubt. I think it's just a human nature thing in general, not even necessarily Christians. It's like when something, you know, if there feels like there's an attack on you, our, our idea is to, you know, defend it. And I'm not pretending I'm any different than that. I'm still that guy. And I just, I'm constantly trying to remind myself. I make mistakes and I lash out sometimes, especially when I haven't slept, you know, or I'm not coping well, or I've got something else on my plate that's stressful. I don't, you know, I don't always say the right things and I, I have to go back and apologize, you know, just like everyone else. But yeah, I think that's a great point is, um, just, you, know, you said not responding out of the flesh, just literally trying to put yourself in their position and then think about, you don't know, man, it, it could be anything. Yeah. You know, if you met me on the street, you have no idea of my story. How would you know? 
or you met me on a motorcycle race or we're skydiving or you see me at the airport, you know, because I like, I like to fly. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm into. And you would just think that I'm here I am, you know, a guy works at a bike shop and you have no idea there's a deeper story behind that. And uh, I think just trying to not have to know, but just always being that mindset, if you can, that, you know, give this person some grace. We're not sure what they're going through. Yeah. And there's checks and balances. I mean, God will provide those for you. Like seeing Natalie's eyes and and because that wasn't your intention was you were, you were full bore. Six hours had built up sitting on his doorstep. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, that video, uh, the 10 years video, uh, it starts with, um, I believe, a a motorbike race, motorcycle race. Well, it starts and ends with that and talking about how you're out there for two, three, four hours and you're, that's your focus. You're focused on something you love because you, you got to be focused to be able to do well and, and not get hurt. Um, so um, take, you know, kind of take me way back with you, Jason, about how did you um, get involved with uh, motorcycles and, and bicycles and that kind of thing? Was it something that started pretty early? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my dad and my uncle, uh, they were both into riding dirt bikes growing up. Uh, there's videos of me at two years old just shaking out of excitement sitting on their bike, you know. <laughs> um, then we moved to Florida for my dad's contract. There wasn't a place to ride where we lived. And every wishing well, every birthday, every anything I could wish on, shooting star, I wanted a dirt bike. Well, we moved to Albany um, when I was six, and my mom and dad got me a little Honda 50. And... Uh, I rode the snot out of it. It, it. I just, I have a love for it. Something happens to me. I can ride better than I can walk. You know, it's like, it is, it's just something that's in my soul. I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's really, really good for me to be on it. And mom would turn the light on and off to let me know it's time to come in. And I'd act like I didn't see it. Just <laughs> look the other way. And she jokes that that's when she got control over me. Cause I was, you know, I real strong personality and, uh, how she got me to study, how she got me to clean my room was to threaten my dirt bike. <laughs> she could get anything done with a dirt bike. <laughs> was it something about like, you know, I mean, obviously you talked about skydiving and, yeah. and flying and then dirt bikes and that kind of thing. Some people would see those as, as dangerous hobbies, but I mean, but thrilling, like, like a roller coaster sort of. So for you, is it that, that thrill, like you're on the kind of on the edge at times? Kind of. There, there's parts of it. I think that the biggest part about it is that um, in those things that you just listed, you have to be all in. And if you're not, that's when it's dangerous. You know, um, skydiving is, a, is, I know this is, nobody's going to believe me. We go look at the stats. Skydiving is a very, very safe sport. The year that I started, there was 14 million skydives that year and there was nine deaths. I was more dangerous driving over here today. Sure. You know, so... I, you know, that is, it's just the facts of it. So you can say what you want to say, but if you die skydiving, there was a lot of things that went wrong and you have to be on your game, you know, and uh, most of the time it is an error of the skydiver. It's not being clear. Um, Piloting, it's the same way. It's almost always pilot error. Either they didn't check something on the airplane correctly or they made a mistake. And therefore, you got to be on your game all the time. 100% focused. Got to be. And you know what happens when you're 100% focused is you don't have time to think about anything else. Um, and the same thing on the motorcycle. When I'm on that dirt bike and I'm racing through the trees and my handlebars are barely fitting through with 500 other people at those speeds, take your take your focus off one second and you're in trouble. That's how you get hurt. And that's how the game changes really quick. And I have the scars and plates to, to show where I made that mistake, you know. So what it does for me is in that moment of 100% hyper-focused, I'm not thinking about my business. I'm not in my relationships. 
I'm not thinking about the bills that I have to pay. Uh, nothing else, man. I, I get the moment to be exactly where I'm at in the now, in this moment. And I that's what I crave. Yeah, and kind of loving like you're not looking back, not looking forward. You're kind of living, like taking life by the horns at those those hours that you're doing that. Right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you know, when I'm on the dirt bike, you know, I'm uh, you're in skydiving. Similar to if you look straight at the ground going to land, you screw it up. Yeah. You got to look out ahead of you and see where you're going. You know, and that is a big part of it. As a dirt bike, I'm looking 50 feet into the woods i'm in a corner but i'm looking at the next corner already and it's like there's something about that um being in the moment but you're still looking forward you know what i mean and what's behind you is behind you yes it's done done and i can't go back and fix it (laughs) that's right yeah you know it's such it's such i can relate so much to life as riding the dirt bike and you know um depression is a real thing that you know a lot of us deal with and I, i i compare that to the trees that i'm racing through you know um, or skydiving. One thing they tell you is if you don't want to run into something, don't look at it. I yeah. mean, that you will do it. And cycling is the same way. If I take you out mountain biking and I say, all right, Jason, I'm going down this hill. And you're like, man, what about that tree? And I said, don't look at that tree. You will smack it directly. And so I always com- I like to compare depression to the trees. And if you look at, if you focus on the depression, you're going to, you're going to get stopped in your tracks. They're there. They're there. You, you, you want to make sure that you're acknowledging them. I'm not saying the depression is not real. It's very real. I didn't know about it. Uh, when we lost Natalie, I realized that depression's real. And it was the first time that I, was, I acknowledged it because I kind of thought, man, just suck it up. Like, I would never say that to anyone. But I did feel that way. It was like, man, dude, it's not that big a deal. It's in your head. stuck, And it's not. There is, <laughs> you know, it is a real thing. And just like the trees are very real. And so don't pretend they're not there because it'll still get you. Yeah. Uh, recognize them, but look through them, you know, and see what's on the other side. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people say exercise is a great way to help with your mental health. I mean, obviously, you, a lot of people do it for physical reasons, but there's that extra level of, it, you know, the endorphins or whatever else scientifically. But whether you're going to the gym to work out, whether you're running, walking, uh, cycling, 75 hard, any of that stuff. So um, for you, you know, I you, you have a, a love for cycling, for motorbikes. So, and, you know, your job and your job for the last, I guess, uh, since 2009 has been to kind of spread that love, right? And to uh, rent and, and sell bikes and help people fix them up. But you're getting to have those conversations. So what's that like for you getting to um, kind of, you know, uh, share your love for bike and helping. I guess you got people that are brand new to it and people that are right. super experienced, right? Yeah, man. What I love about the business that I'm in, you can't throw rocks at it, man. It's just good. You know, talking about it's not just fitness, and there's proof uh, about people getting off of Ritalin, off of cycling because of the rhythm of pedaling and the balancing and the exercise. I mean, it's you ought to see the success rate that Specialized did with uh, Stanford University. Mm. Huge study. 70% success rate of getting kids off of Ritalin just for riding a bike one one hour a day. Wow. And then I have a, I have a, a great friend now, but it started as a customer that started off on a used bike. We sell a lot of used bikes as well. Um, on a used $300 hybrid, she's lost 140 pounds and she's five foot one. Wow. She lost a person, you know? <laughs> yeah. And when she bought a $10,000 bike, even though I told her she didn't need that because that was a race bike, she said that it was cheaper than her medical bills would have been. And she's yeah. buying the damn bike. <laughs> Understood, you know? Understood, yeah, exactly. loud and clear. Exactly. And when, you know, I could tell you these stories. I had um, a girl that she said that it saved her marriage. I've heard that a few times. One in particular because we have a Tuesday night bike ride where rentals are free. 
And her and her husband, they didn't have the money at the time to go do anything. And she had gained some weight and they kind of were separating, you know, mentally. You know that happens. Like you just don't have that connection. Yeah. And cycling brought them back together. And uh, I actually just ran into her, man. It's so wild. We're having this conversation two weeks ago. I hadn't seen her in years. And she said, uh, she showed me a ring. They've been married eight years since that happened, you know. And I could tell you these stories over and over and over. And yeah, the hotshot cyclists, we, man, they find us. And I admire those guys, what they're able to do, and the girls that can do that. Um, the the people guy doing, people are doing triathlons, yeah, with you guys. Ironmans and and long road races and mountain bikes and downhills and the electric assist bikes now are really big. But what there's no they're no more important than the the gentleman that's homeless is trying to get his money saved up to get his home, you know. And they come in with a bike that is just like oof. You know, how, what are we going to do with that one? You know, and <laughs> can we salvage it? Yeah, like what are we? How are we going to fix them? And, and can they can they pay for it next week? That kind of thing. And the answer is yes. You know, absolutely. So I feel like with Ride on Bikes is our goal is very simple mission statement. We're here to help you with your cycling needs. Period. Yeah, there's no more to it, right? You have to go to a consultant for that. <laughs> no, yeah. that's just what I'm here for. Yeah. Whatever that may be, if it's to get you to work today, if it's to recover from your running injury. If it's that you've been rucking on your knees for 20 years and you can't run anymore and you got to do something because you want to be active, if it's time to take your health back over, you know, then we're here for you. And our rentals start at $10 a day. I say that's my drug dealer approach. Like, the first one's on me. Let me hook you up on the first one, you know. Exactly. And once I get you, then it's over with. And I'll, I'll do any trick possible to trick you into cycling because it's so good, you know. There's the entry level, and then you move on up exactly. to the, the harder stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very slippery slope. Yeah. But I can, you know, people, I mean, all my friends now, they pretty much just about everyone's come through the bike shop. And they give me so much crap. They're like, man, Jace could see, you know, still ice to an Eskimo, all this stuff. He sold me this, he sold me that. And I always ask the question, have you ever bought something from me that you you regret? Yeah. And I said, well, no. I'm like, well, be quiet then. (laughs) What's the problem? You know? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's just such a great business. And you guys, you get the opportunity as well, like you, to to, to donate a lot of bikes and and be involved in charity. And also, I think I've read you, um, build a lot of special needs bikes. And that's right. So tell me about that, the desire to do more than just make money and sell bikes and, and rent bikes, but you're doing something beyond that as well. Well, what gets me going is helping people, right? Um, I have to make money to be able to help more people. The more money I can make, the more people I can help. So that's where the marketing degree comes in to be able to get more people in the bike shop, the everyday customer. Um, And I feel like that my customer base knows that with the profit I'm going to make, I have to make a profit that I'm going to do the best I possibly can with to make this community better and whatever that is, you know. And um, when there is a, a customer that comes in with, their child has MS, which has happened recently, and they don't have motor skills. They don't have the control. Um, what what can we do? And it's that it's that open. And very few of those situations are the same. And I've always there's always some challenge I'm not used to. And I'm like, well, man, like her leg is three inches shorter than the other. What are you going to do about that? I'm like, I don't know yet, but I, we're going to figure it out. And you know, I always make the joke. I don't really have any talents. I just have friends with talents. And I got some really good friends that can weld and they're willing to help, you know. And uh, so we're, and my staff, man, at the bike shop, our team is so good. And they all believe what I believe. It's why we work so well together. And everyone there is there to help. And 
they're not there for the money. Everybody there, including myself, we can make more money somewhere else. There's not, there's not like this, you know, we're not rolling in cash at the bicycle shop. We're there because we get to make the world a better place every day. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've read you quoted saying that the, the bike shop is a vehicle for changing lives. And so, you know, and, and I guess really, I mean, in terms of people who are listening to this podcast or maybe watching it on WTVM.com. And by the way, we're going to put a link to that video, the, the 10 years video on there and on the show notes of the podcast. But uh, people that are watching um, or listening, may, they can do the same thing with their job, right? I mean, Absolutely. like whether you're a business owner or whether you're a teacher or a police officer or a street sweeper, I mean, you can there's an opportunity to, to change lives wherever you're at, right? Absolutely, man. I, I think, you know, that chance of um, looking in somebody's eyes and when you ask them how they're doing, really want, wait. You know, wait, find out. What's want, really, want the answer. Want right? the answer. Yeah, yeah. We're, so, we're so trained. Hey, guys, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Man, if you hear that in the bike shop, somebody did not take the training straight. We are, it's not what we do, man. I have something else to say to you to get you engaged and to get you laughing and making, want to make your day better. We had to put a lounge in the bike shop because people just come and they hang out. We want that, right? It's kind of like Cheers. Remember the show Cheers? It's like that. The bike shop's kind of their bar. Like they just come in, they get to be in a healthy environment and they get to be around people that are like-minded. And man, the, the spread... <laughs> This, the, if you walked in there, there could be a, a show made off of this this bike shop. You well, well, you have smoothies, right? So, yeah. I mean, people can come in and, like, you know. And you have a reason to come see me every day? <laughs> That's right. Asahi bowls. If you hadn't had one of the Asahi bowls, I mean, you got to trust me on this. Just get it. It's like a work of art. It's amazing. And this is usually eat or drink after the bike ride or before or just depends? People come in every okay. day. People yeah. come in for lunch. We have uh, cold-pressed juices, the whole thing. But I, I think to go back to answer your question, absolutely. I think making people feel important, making people feel heard. And, um, you know, Jason, the most selfish thing you can do is to help someone else. Yeah. Seems backwards, but when you give to other people, it's what gives you the most joy. Yeah. And in um, my darkest moments, what I do is I write thank you cards and I go help people. Yeah. And that's what, that's what pulls me out of it. So I think everyone has an opportunity at every job they're in. Absolutely. And, and uh, I know that, you know, obviously since you were um, talked about since you were six years old, I think you said motorbikes was your thing and yeah, yeah. still is. I think you were telling me you still every every other weekend you're still uh, racing. Yeah, yeah we, we start back October 15th. Okay. So we had a few months off and then we start racing every other weekend. So we travel um, usually southeast Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia. Now you're almost you're you're approaching forty. So are you going to do this up until you're like 50, yeah. 60 years old? <laughs> I, I want to do it as long as I'm able to. There's are there are a lot of guys out there doing that. You know, um, one of the coolest things about riding is uh, a few of my team members at the bike shop. We all race together. They go with us. We all load up in the trailer and we ride together and stay together and train together and talk crap to each other together. But my younger brother, uh, he works with me at the bike shop as well, and we get to race together. You know, and I don't know many people that have the relationship that me and my brother have. Uh, you know, we are always there to pick each other up in the darkest times and the be and we celebrate the best times together. And to be able to share this love for a motorcycle, I will tell you, he is faster than me right now. Oh, uh, no. Man. Yeah. You, you admitted that to the, to the world. I know, he <laughs> is. I'm working hard at it, though. 75 hard may not just be the challenge, right? I'm trying to oh, get... Oh, so this is, this is the one of the main motivations here. Yeah. It's got to... I got to do better, man. Like, wow, how can I got to keep up with this little tail? But, <laughs> and, yeah. spe and speaking of uh, talking crap, uh, yeah. you told me off camera that you um, you lost a bet in 2015, which led you to, I guess, do your first and only Ironman, I believe. Yeah, so check tell, that one off the list. Tell, yeah, exactly. Tell me about... Uh, speaking of hard, yeah. tell, tell me 
me about that. Uh, so I made a bet with my team at the bike shop. Uh, I had done a half Ironman in uh, 2012, and I promised to never, ever do another triathlon. Never. I fell apart on the run. I learned a lot, but I fell apart. I finished it, but it was ugly. Absolutely terrible. And I was like, man, I don't know why people do this to themselves. I'm not doing this anymore. So uh, this was 2015, and I was trying to, I was raising money for the Autism Learning Center and um, and the Hope Center. We did two years. I'm not sure which one this particular year was, but had a friend. Uh, there, his daughter had autism. We were having coffee one morning. He was telling me about how insurance in Georgia doesn't cover it. And I was like, what? You know, and I started learning. It's like an extra $60,000 a year if you have a child with autism and it's not being covered and we're losing people moving to Texas and things where it is covered. And I didn't know and I'm educated. And I'm like, man, people don't know about this. We got to raise awareness. Um, so I found out some needs that they needed and I wanted to raise uh, $10,000. And so I'm asking my team, I'm like, hey man, like, what can we do to get people to raise money? You know, what people be willing to give money for? So we had all these ideas and we were raffling off bikes and you know, I was gonna wear a dress to work one day and all these things and then somebody on the team said, if you do an Ironman, bet we could get it done. I'm like, I mean, nobody cares about that. And I just kind of, they're like, nah. And then everybody's like, yep, that would do it because everybody knows how much you don't want to do it. <laughs> well, we raised right at $15,000 and I wow. made the agreement. And uh, so not only would I do the Ironman, I'd do it under 15 hours and I would dance across the finish line. Wow. So so you, you did that? Wow. So what was that like? Uh, I mean, obviously a lot of training, but what was, was this second time around doing the full Ironman this time? Was it better? Was way it, better. Okay, way better. Yeah, I had a realization. So in the in the half, I was uh, I was swimming and I had a plan, but then I got I looked up and I was in the front half of the group and then my plan went out the window. I was oh, I'm racing this thing. I'm not trying to finish. <laughs> and I averaged 20 on my bike, which was too fast to have to run. And I'm not a strong runner. Uh, I wish I had that. I don't have that. And because the, uh, the marathon is the last thing you do. right, yeah. And so in the full, uh, I did hire a coach uh, here in town and um, spent nine months. And it, it became it wasn't intentional, but it ended up being a uh, a video. The the girl that was running my social media at the time, I she I sent her. She was also coaching me, and I sent her a video of me running at eleven o'clock at night on the treadmill. Like you did this to me. This is the part you didn't tell me about. It was kind of a joke. Well, she posted on the ride on bike social media. And then everybody liked it so much that I ended up having to post these videos multiple times a week. And then I'd be at Publix and somebody's like, oh, you're the guy doing the Ironman. So you got to imagine I would be in the pool at five o'clock in the morning. I would go to work and talk about it all day long. And then I would go home and train, either ride or run, you know, every day for nine months. It was exhausting, man. And you had public accountability because you're putting right. it out there. You know, you're, right. you're being vulnerable with your kind of, you know, because I'm sure, I mean, there's like anything in terms of rides and runs and swims, there's there's good ones and then there's bad ones. Yeah. You know, so. And I put the time in and I will tell you this, the day of the race was fun. It wasn't miserable like my other races. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, it's such a moving thing. Even if you just go watch one of these races, I really recommend it because it was 3,500 people that did it. First of all, we all paid $800. What? What? <laughs> Again, and, this goes back to you saying, why would somebody put Yeah, I know. It? And we all have these expensive bikes, which, I mean, everybody needs an expensive bike, right? That's right. <laughs> and we Where were, can they find that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we put in the time. We paid to be there. And you don't do a race without buying the coffee mug and the sticker. You know what I mean? And this is a huge business thing that Iron Man's got going. It's massive. The business plan they have is amazing. But when you see people that, you know, their age is written on the back of their calf, like a lot of the races you've done, and it's... Uh, you realize they're twice my age or they are overweight, you know, or they, whatever the deal is, they're handicapped and they're doing this. It is so inspiring, man. 
Um, and then you realize that anyone can do this. So whoever's listening right now, if you think you can't do an Ironman, you are wrong. Yeah. You yeah. can do it. I have a friend that had lost both of his legs and he did an Ironman. Wow. You know? And so, I mean, and then also, you know, for those of us who have all our limbs yeah. and, and don't have major chronic health issues, it's like, so what's my excuse, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. And we can blame it on time. There's a lot of things. But just like we said earlier, if it's important enough, you'll make it happen. If not, you'll make an excuse. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking, you know, talk, speaking of important things, I wanted to kind of close talking about, um, you know, we what we talked about earlier with, with Natalie and what she went through um, 11 years ago um, and how um, we talked about how suicide calls are up like 800 times to hotlines um, in 2020. And I don't think that's slowed down. Um, and so, you know, and, and you've kind of researched that over the last, you know, decade or so going through this. So, I mean, what can people do about it? I mean, you talk about how we can be have self-awareness and be kind to others and kind of notice the red flags. But because there's things that you can't, like you said, like some people say, well, you can't prevent it. But but you, in your mind, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. Um, just recently, in the last few months, I've had the honor of serving on the Love Light Lexi board. Um, and Love Light Lexi is a program that's been started a couple years ago. And uh, the girl running is Andrea Mills. Her daughter committed suicide, uh, Lexi, in 2019. And this is in East Alabama where that's they're correct. based. Yeah, East Alabama. And uh, what this young lady has done, when you meet her, there's, like, there's no way that this little person can bring this amount of energy. And you, if you ever doubt God... Just listen to Andrea Mills at uh, assembly that she's doing at a high school. And what she has done is she has gone and found out what she wishes her daughter knew and what she knows that it, her daughter was missing because she was beautiful, all an incredible athlete, could sing. I mean, all the things in college, scholarship, the whole bit. And what Andrea did is she wrote a curriculum. It's not just a hoorah speech. And she goes to high schools. And what the number one thing I think she's done, it's a six-week curriculum. She trains the teachers, trains the parents, and then talks to the kids. But she's identified suicide, and I'd like to include depression on this. That's me doing that. But as uh, something else, it's not you. It's not your brain. Um, it is the voice of suicide. Or, you know, if you're a Christian, you can call it the enemy. Um, that is something else that is distorting your thoughts, that they're, it's taking your hope away and it's telling you things that are not true and it's taking your what you don't think the value is there. So I think we have to start with ourselves, right? Um, when you, We all have the negative thoughts. You are not by yourself in that. You should not feel bad about it. I, I fight it too, man. I, I do. Yeah. And when that comes in, it's so important to separate that. That is somebody else trying to break into my thoughts. I'm in control of this ship. I'm driving it. So I think first work on yourself. Do that. And then when you... It's not the person you think usually. I'm not saying don't don't pay attention to the person that's threatening it and talking about it. I'm not saying that. But there was no warning with Natalie, you know, and that's usually the way it is. There's not much of I'm again, I'm pleased if somebody ever is even thinking that where they're willing to talk to you about it, you have to listen and take it very seriously. But it's not always that person. Uh Natalie had the biggest smile in the room, man, and her room, she had polka dots painted on the walls. Uh, the biggest bright spot, the energy she would bring, her laugh was contagious. Not the person you would ever dreamed in a thousand years this would happen to. And you talked about how some people say suicide's selfish and that you describe her as one of the least selfish people you know. Yeah, it's not selfish. It's different. It, it's a, there, I know chemical imbalance is the way I've always said it. Now that I'm on the Love Like Lexi board, I'm starting to understand suicide more for the first time. And she was listening to a voice that wasn't hers. And that's what happened. And it's not, 
she wasn't insane. It's not like, you know, it's not when you hear about voices in people's heads. It's not It's not the way that I thought it was either, you know. Um, you can beat it, though, and you do have a future. And I encourage people to think, you know, one of the things Andrea taught me was like, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you? Okay, and think that through. Write it down. And then on the next page, now what? Because, because there is a now and there is a future. It's not over. The worst thing in the world, there's still... There's hope and there is a purpose. And if I can take what I learned and take all the pain I went through, and you can do that. I don't know your story. I just met you today. I know it hasn't been easy. I know that for a fact. You don't have to tell me your story. Somehow, here you are. You're dressed up. Tie looks good. Got your hair done right. You come in here. You've got me laughing right when we walked in the door. You have chose to make today good. And you have chose to take all that stuff and you've come here. you got the courage to come here and do this. That inspires me to come do better because if you can do it, I can do it. And I think that we have that opportunity to look at everyone and see what, you know, that we don't have to know what their story is, that they are trying. They're trying their best. And I feel like if we can all go at life in that way, that we have a chance uh, of helping this. We had, we lost over 50,000 people last year in the U.S. to suicide. We can do better. And, and, and things can be done about it. Like, I mean, you don't have to go through tragedy to be able to kind of talk about this because, I mean, he talks in the Bible, faith without works is dead. I mean, we can believe in God. We can believe in the power of, like, kindness. But if we don't act on that and do something about it and act on our faith, then, you know, is it, is it, it's just a, a clanging bell. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, there's, no, there's nothing, you know. So, well, thank you so much, uh, Jason McKenzie, for coming in and sharing your story and being vulnerable and, and uh, sharing your, uh, your passion for uh, extreme sports and, and cycling as well. So I need, I need to come by the, the shop and try. What was the name of the, uh, the, the bowl you were talking about? Asahi bowl. Asahi bowl. It's okay. a superfood. You're going to freak out, man. You're going to love it. Bananas, <laughs> strawberries, a little protein powder, some honey. You're going to love it. I'm going to get you out there for a, another a run or a marathon or Ironman sometime soon. Right, you're so. breaking up all of a sudden. Sounds like you're on AT&T. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Jason. All right, thanks, man. Really insightful uh, what uh, Jason was talking about. Even got emotional myself as he talked about how you know we all go through struggles, myself included, and him and and everybody. We're none of us are immune and live this happy, wonderful life where everything goes well for us. And you never know what somebody else is going through. So spreading kindness, you can't go wrong there. And um, if you want to hear more from Jason McKenzie, I, I mentioned it earlier. Um, the uh, one of the one of my friends who was actually there at Black Hawk Down, a famous ranger, Jeff Struker, who lives here in the Columbus Fort Benning area. He has a uh, fairly new podcast. I guess it's a year old now, called Unbeatable, talking about being unbeatable in your life and winning. Uh, no matter what kind of adversity you go through, going through some really challenging times. He talks to some great guests like I do as well here on uh, Run the Race. So check out Jeff Struker's uh, Unbeatable podcast. And Jason McKenzie, I think, was his 10th guest overall. Uh, for us, this is episode, I think, 125. So uh, we are uh, doing pretty well here. I appreciate you joining us uh, again uh, on a, you know, uh, a regular basis. And uh, you know, we'd love for you, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go to the bottom there of Run the Race and write a quick little uh, you know, blurb. One or two sentences, give us five stars. Tell us what you think. You know, we, we don't mind if you if you like it, if you don't like it, you know, uh, what what can we improve on? What 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 guests do you like? You know, make sure to write something on there. We really appreciate it. And as we uh, do on uh, on 
oftentimes on Run the Race, we have our final segments, um, a uh, food for thought, uh, which this time uh, focuses on cycling, how it can help you um, feel younger and look younger, perhaps, and uh, a parting gift, some inspiration from the good word. This is an article from Eat This, Not That. Uh, We talk about nutrition a lot of times on here on the pod, but this is an article called The Cycling Habits That Slow Aging According to Science. Because, you know, bicycling is a very popular sport, um, as my guest well knows. And uh, it's also a very healthy workout. Fewer injuries, less strain than many other forms of exercise. And uh, it can be an aerobic workout uh, for your, for not only your body but your your mind as well. A low impact one at that. According to uh, Jacqueline Kubiak, who's a PT and DPT, um, says that it's it's been shown that cycling reduces anxiety and reduces depression mainly because you you can make it fun. You can do it outdoors, do it with friends. And you can change the intensity uh, for yourself as well. And uh, cycling, we, we talked about earlier, can slow aging. We, we all want that, right? It uh, has to do with getting in that healthy dose of aerobic exercise. You can easily bike at your own pace. Um, it's actually recommended that adults do about two and a half hours of moderate Uh, moderately intense aerobic exercise or about an hour 15 of vigorous aerobic exercise each and every week. Doesn't sound like a lot, but do at least that on on a bike or running or anything. And uh, pedaling up those miles can strengthen your heart and your lungs and your blood vessels. That's all good for you, for your body, right? Overall, no matter how old you are. And uh, it also can burn some some serious calories uh, per hour and per mile that you bike. Uh, in addition, uh, cycling, you know, going out for one of those adventures can help you avoid fractures and, uh, you know, doesn't place a lot of those stress in your joints like what I do a lot, running on concrete and, and pavement. Cycling is a hobby that you can uh, truly enjoy throughout your life, no matter what your age is. And uh, don't forget, wear your helmet. Make sure your bike is the right size and works for you. And, you know, get it checked at places like bike shops, like Ride on Bikes. And pay close attention to any traffic signs. And then, uh, you know, maybe some sunscreen will help you out in places like Georgia where I am. And then uh, just pedal to the metal, right? And uh, in our uh, final, final segment of the podcast, uh, we have uh, our uh, parting gift, which this time uh, comes from the Bible. In Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, You know, our our guest today, Jason McKenzie, talked about, you know, being kind to others because you never know what somebody else is going through, right? Give a smile, give a wave, you know, maybe if you don't even know somebody, even if you don't get that smile or wave back. Um, Because kindness is something our world is really desperate for right now. We have an increase in fears and and more people dealing with anxieties and and depression. And we talk about suicide. And uh, especially as Christians, God calls us to be the light of the world. Um, Even when there are enemies, you should love and be kind to all people. And uh, those five things he talked about, you know, clothe yourself. So when you're putting on your pants and your shirt, put on these things as well. These these five things that it talks about in the Bible. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, It takes a lot to do those things, and sometimes we can't do it on our own. So we we especially need God's strength during those times. So uh, closing now in prayer, as we do for every episode of Run the Race, dear God, just thank you for this time together. Lord, just help us to in supernatural ways to to just uh, bite our tongue and show kindness and patience and compassion and gentleness with those around us, those we work with, 
our family members. And Lord God, just help us to, to know when to talk to somebody, to see those red flags, to help prevent uh, suicides, and to, to help somebody that, that needs a shoulder to cry on, that needs somebody to talk to, and that, that we can uh, be uh, your hands and feet, Jesus, in this world, and to, to show that kindness and to to, Lord God, to, to reduce those statistics and that they're not just statistics. These are people that uh, have chosen to, to end their lives and that, that, uh, to show that, that we love them and we care for them and they do matter, not only in your eyes, God, but in ours as well. And Lord God, just thank you for your many blessings you pour upon us every hour, every day. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you again for joining us and uh, for this, uh, what I think is a, a powerful episode. Again, this this extraordinary person, Jason McKenzie, what he's gone through and and uh, not just, you know, with uh, his, his the wife that he lost, but just, you know, kind of living life to the fullest uh, with cycling and jumping out of planes, flying planes and all kinds of things, things that, that I wouldn't maybe dare to do. But maybe I'll uh, go uh, go see him sometime and uh, hop on a bike a little more often to uh, kind of give my, my uh, joints a break from all that running that I do. And uh, on a future podcast in the next couple of weeks, you'll get to hear my uh, recap of a race that I'm going to run here in about a week and a half, two weeks, uh, my next marathon in uh, Minnesota that I've now signed up for. It'll be my 20th state overall. So uh, until next time, y'all uh, make it good.